Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. The message you are about to watch is week six. Today, we're tackling the topic of the law and asking the question, why did God give us rules? If you've missed any messages in this series, we encourage you to go back and listen to the messages you've missed. Once again, thanks for checking out this message here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are currently studying together straight through the entire Bible. We have taken 11 weekends to walk through what we believe to be is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, believing convictionally that the Bible teaches one story. Leapock talked about it a moment ago, that father's love letter from beginning to end. And we've called the series Pages, the story of God's love through the Bible. And so far, we have come uh, about four or five weeks in. We started by establishing the reality that the story of the Bible is really all about the glory of God. You and I as human beings are not the main character of the story of the Bible. God himself is the main character of the story of the Bible. And the entire story of the Bible is for his glory. But as we began together, we understood that the very first thing he did to display his glory is that God created the heavens and the earth. Everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell, God spoke it into existence. And out of his creation, the crowning point of his creation, God created you and I as human beings. God made us, and he made us for a specific reason. He made us to know us, to love us, and so that we could know him and love him. And all of life is to be lived out of the overflow of this intimate love relationship with God. That's why we were created. We'll never understand life apart from a relationship with God. It's the reason we exist. But as we walk through the story of the Bible, we understood that there was a problem. And the problem is that as human beings, even though God created us to know him, to love him, we sinned against God. As human beings, we rebelled against God. We stepped across God's boundary. We read about it with Adam and Eve in the garden. But the reality of Scripture is that every one of us who've been born since Adam and Eve have all come into this world because of Adam and Eve, dead to God and very much alive to sin. So what sin did is sin robbed us of the ability to have a relationship with God, which is the very reason why we were created. But as we continued on through the story, in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. And, and his, excuse me, his promise is that through Abraham's descendants, he was going to send someone into the world who would be a savior for the world. Someone was going to come who in Genesis 12, the Bible said, would be a blessing to all the families 
of the earth. And then last weekend, Pastor Scott taught about the pictures, how God through the Old Testament has been giving us pictures that clearly define who this Messiah is going to be and how he's going to come. And as we continue our journey, we come to another important part of the story today that you and I must understand if we're going to understand the story of the Bible. And that is the law of God. And the question we want to wrestle with this morning is why did God give us rules? Why the law? And to kind of jump into this today, I want to start by giving you a pop quiz, all right? Everybody loves pop quizzes, right? No, we hate them. We all hate them, but that's all right. You're going to do it anyway. And here's the good news. You're going to take this test together, all right? So I'm going to ask you some questions, and by show of hand, I want you to answer this morning. All right, you ready? Here's the first question. How many of you can name all three stooges? Let me see your hand. If you can name all three stooges, just hold your hand up for a second. I'm kind of looking around. All right. Vast majority. Let's do it together. Larry, Moe, and Curly, right? Most Americans, as a matter of fact, 75% of all Americans can name all three stooges. So you're doing good so far. Second question. How many of you can name all six kids from the Brady Bunch? Let me see your hand. Hold it up. Uh, Not quite as many, but still a lot of you, right? So let's do it together. Marcia, Jan, Cindy, Greg, Peter, Bobby. A lot of you are doing good here. You're, you're passing the test. If you can name all six kids in the Brady Bunch, you are in that group of 35% of all Americans can name all six kids in the Brady Bunch. Here's the third question on the pop quiz. How many of you can name all seven ingredients of a Big Mac? Yes, some of us can, right? Let's do it together. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, right? Yep. Come on. Now, you do know you just told your age, right? (laughs) Because that commercial ran in 1972 for a year and a half. And so if we can do that together, here's what that means. We're either old or we spend way too much time at McDonald's, right? 25% of all Americans can name all seven ingredients of a Big Mac. Here's question number four. Name all ten commandments. Who can do that? Hold them up. Let me see your hand. Okay, let's bring some microphones around now. (laughs) Now, Let me see. Where are those hands that went up? I want to get. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, right? But the number went drastically down when I said we're getting some microphones. Everybody was real confident until we had to stand up and say them. 75% of all Americans can name the three stooges. 35% can name all the kids in the Brady Bunch. 25% can name all seven ingredients in a Big Mac. Only 14% can name all 10 commandments. Now, as sad as it is that we don't know God's law, Even more tragic is that we misunderstand why God gave the law. You see, the enemy that we talked about a moment ago has propagated a lie in the world. And unfortunately, it's a lie about the law of God And many people have believed this lie. Now, not just unbelievers. There are a lot of unbelievers, non-Christians who believe this lie. But there are even a lot of Christians who still struggle with this lie. 
Here's the lie. I'm going to put it up here. You ready? Following God's rules equals enjoying God's favor. We've believed the lie that God gave us the rules, the law, so that you and I could do our best to try to keep the law so that then God will be happy with us. Let me show you another way to say it. Obedience equals acceptance. That the way to be accepted, and listen, this is true outside the church. Many non-believers believe that one of the reasons that many of them give up hope is because they believe that the rules are here, and if I can't keep the rules, then God's never going to be happy with me. God is not going to accept me if I can't keep the rules. But this is not just true of non-Christians. There are Christians who still to this day, some of you are sitting in this building today, and you're at church because you think somehow today by being at church, God's more happy with you. Some of us as Christians think this is God's constant view of us. (laughs) Disappointment, discouragement. Why? Because we are terrible at keeping the rules. Listen to me very carefully. That is not the heart of God. And it is not why he gave the Ten Commandments. God did not give us the rules so that we could earn God's acceptance. God didn't give us the rules so we could earn God's favor. God didn't give us the rules so we could keep the rules and make God happy with us. Because if you've ever tried to keep the rules, how's that gone for you? If that's the objective, guess what? God is never going to be happy with us. Pastor, if God didn't give us the rules so that we could keep them so he could be happy with us, why did he give us the rules? Let me give it to you in a big idea statement, then we're going to look at the text of Scripture. Here's the big idea. God's laws are not given to earn a relationship. They are given to lead us to Jesus so that we may enjoy a relationship with him. That makes sense. Say amen. We're going to unpack it together, but first, let's read the rules. If you got your Bible, open it to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Here's what he says. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Rule number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me, And keep my commandments. Number three, verse seven. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Number four, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth uh, and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. First four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The next six deal with our relationship with each other. Look at number five, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged in the land which which the Lord your God gives you. Uh, Number six here, verse 13, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. What I've just read for you is what we commonly call the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that this is not all of the law. This is the tip of the iceberg of the law of God. There's much more in Exodus and Leviticus about the law of God. But this is kind of what we call the big 10. This is the original 10 commandments where God gave his law to his people. And what I want to do is I want to unpack these verses in three statements today. And here's the first one. God's law is not given to earn a relationship. God did not give us his law so that you and I could keep the rules and somehow earn our way onto God's good side. Let me prove it to you. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 20. Then God spoke. Now, that's an important then. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, then God, it's actually pointing back pointing us to something that had just happened so that he could now share with us what's about to happen. Then God's, well, what had just happened? We'll look back at chapter 19, look at verse 18. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. (laughs) We've read over that so many times. We've lost, imagine you walk out of here today and over here at Mount Charleston, The Lord descends on Mount Charleston in fire to the point that the the top of Mount Charleston Charleston is now arising to heaven as a flame and a a, a plume of smoke. That's exactly what's taking place here. I've I've been to this region there, the the foot of Mount Sinai, just north of Sharm el-Sheik, there north of the Red Sea. And I've stood and I've looked up at Mount Sinai and tried to imagine what it must have been like to be the children of Israel standing in this desert looking up there seeing God fall from heaven in fire and the mountain literally begin to go up in smoke let's read on look what he said and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace get this and the whole mountain quaked violently 
When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Now we get to chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke. Here's the point. I would uh, assume by this point in the narrative, he completely had their attention. I mean, if we walk out of here today and get to the parking lot and there's a fire falling down from heaven onto Mount Charleston and smoke going up and the whole mountain is shaking violently, we're going to lean in, right? We're now, you got our attention. So God does this and then God speaks and he first of all makes what I call the expected announcement. Look what he says in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. I am the Lord. And everybody went, yes, you are, right? I mean, they just watched him fall from heaven with a fire. They just watched this mountain begin to quake and shake violently. They were watching smoke. They were hearing thunder and they were hearing trumpets and they were seeing lightning. He said, I am God. And they said, amen, you are. But then there's the unexpected announcement. Listen to what he says. I am the Lord. What does he say next? Wait a minute. What did he say? And don't miss this. He hadn't given them the rules yet. It'd be one thing if he said, after this display of lightning and thunder and smoke and earthquake, I am God. And here are the rules that you need to keep in order for me to be your God. But before he even gave them the rules... He didn't say, I'm, he didn't just say, I'm God. He said, I'm your God. The Hebrew construction here is describing his personal relationship to this people. And it's important to note that he declares the relationship and the personal nature of it before he gave them the commandments. Meaning this, God in his grace invited them into relationship with himself before they knew the rules. The basis of their relationship with God was not keeping rules. The basis of their relationship with God was faith go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God introduced himself to Abraham and God called Abraham and God made a promise that Abraham through you I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to raise up a people and through that people is going to come a Messiah and the Messiah is going to be the savior of the world and look at what Genesis 15 said Abraham did it said then he Abraham what's that word believe did it say then he kept the rules No, what did he do? He believed. Abraham put his faith in the Lord. What That promise of a Messiah that was to come. And what happened? And he, God, reckoned it to him as what? 
righteousness. Abraham, by faith, believed in the promise of God, and God accepted Abraham on the basis of his faith. And now this entire people, this people of Israel that we're reading about, they'd all done the same thing. That's why he in Exodus chapter 20 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What's he talking about? He's talking about what had just happened for these people. They'd been in bondage for years in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And God called Moses and sent Moses to lead them out of the nation of Egypt and to set them free. And the way God did that was he sent plagues into the land of Egypt through Moses. And every one of these plagues, you've been re- if you've been reading with our reading plan, you've been reading about some of these plagues. Every time one of these plagues would happen, Pharaoh would say, yes, I'm going to let the people go. And as soon as God relented, he changed his mind and said, nope, not letting them go. Till the last plague. Pastor Scott talked about this last weekend. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. God was going to send the death angel into the land of Egypt. And every firstborn child in every household was going to die. Unless God said, if you'll take a lamb and you'll sacrifice it. And you'll take the blood of that lamb and you'll put it over the door of your house and on the doorpost. Get that symbol. Put over the door of your house and on the doorpost. Take the blood of the lamb that had been sacrificed. What is it? It's another of the pictures that God was giving of what he was going to do. You take the blood and you put it over the doorpost and down the side of the door. And everywhere the death angel sees the blood, here's what's going to happen. He's going to pass over that house and the firstborn will be spared. And here's what happened. All these people standing before him on this day, they all believed in that promise. And by faith, they believed that God would send someone ultimately who would shed his blood for their sin. These people had a relationship with God on the basis of their faith. Here's a tragic mistake a lot of people make about the Bible. We think that there are two ways to salvation. That in the Old Testament, people were saved by obeying the law, keeping the law. Now, in the New Testament, we're not under the law. We're saved by grace through faith. But listen to me very carefully. There are not two ways of salvation in the Bible. There is one way of salvation in the Bible. It has always been by grace through faith that we have been brought into right relationship with God. In the Old Testament, believers came to know him by putting their faith in the promise that was to come. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, we put our faith in the fulfilled promise that has already happened in the person of Jesus Christ. But salvation has always been one salvation by We've never been able to earn a right standing before God. It's always been by grace through faith. Now, if you think I'm reading too much into that phrase, your God, listen to the way Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 3. Look what Paul says about the law. And I've underlined a part of this. Look what he says. Four, read the underlined part with me. By works of the law, no human being will be what? couple important words. Works means performance, means human ability. Here's what Paul said. For by works, by performance of the law, no what? Human being. I think that's all of us in the room. Amen? We're all human beings. Here's what he said. Not one single human being 
will ever be justified. It means to be made right with. Not one human being can ever, through obedience, through performance of the law, by keeping God's rules, none of us can ever make ourselves right with God. God's law was never given to earn a relationship. You say, well, pastor, if that's not why God gave us the law, then why did he give it to us? Well, let me give you the second statement. God's law is given to lead us to a relationship. Let me show you another verse Paul wrote in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Look what he says. Therefore, the law has become our, say this word out loud. Say it again tutor it's the greek word pedagogos we get an english word from it pedagogue means teacher schoolmaster professor instructor paul says the law is our teacher it's our guide it's our instructor to teach us what to lead us to christ why so that we may be what justified by faith the law was never given to earn salvation the law was given to lead us to the person of Jesus so that by faith we could experience salvation let me tell you two things the law taught us number one the law teaches us and shows us what we cannot do on our own James in the New Testament describes the law of God as a mirror When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Let me tell you what you see. Reality. Right? Sometimes it's a reality you like. Sometimes it's a reality you don't like. But when you look in a mirror, no hiding, right? It's it's there. It's, It's reality in that moment. Sometimes when you look in a mirror, you see things that you would never have seen if you didn't look in a mirror, right? Happened to me Friday night. Friday night, my wife and I went out on a double date with a couple, of, a couple that was visiting in town from Toronto, Canada. Great friends of ours here from Toronto, Canada. So we wanted to show them a night on the town here in Las Vegas. And so we wanted to take them somewhere to eat. And one of my favorite places to eat in Las Vegas is Texas Day Brazil down at Town Square. So, so we lay, come on, some other meat lovers in the room. <clears throat> we wanted to take them down there and put them in a meat coma, right? We wanted them to have the meat sweats by the time we left there. So we take our friends from Toronto. We go down to Texas Day, Brazil. And man, we eat meat. We eat meat. And I mean, they, we're just so full of meat by the time it's over with. So then, then the, 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 we end our meal. And then we go do some other things and hang out a little bit. Then we drop them off at their hotel. And then we come back to our house. We get to our house. And I'm standing in front of the mirror in my bathroom. And guess what I realized? I had a big piece of feather <laughs> stuck right there in my tooth. I mean, it's one of those kinds that's just waving at you, right? It's right there. And I turned to my wife and I said, babe, how you let me sit through a whole dinner and you don't tell me I've got this being right here in my teeth that's saying, hey, and she said, well, I didn't notice it. So then I'm wondering, does she even pay any attention to me at all? (laughs) Now, before I stood in front of the mirror, I didn't see it. But once I stood in front of the mirror, I couldn't deny it at all. It was right there. God's law is a mirror. The mirror of God's law reveals to us the holiness and the righteousness of God. 
And when we look into the mirror of God's law, for example, you shall not lie. When I look into the mirror of God's law, you know what immediately I see about myself? I've lied. And not only have I lied, I'm a liar. I have lied many times in my life. The law of God. Now, without the law of God, I wouldn't know that about the righteousness and holiness of God. But once I look into the law of God, I begin to see things in me that don't measure up to the holiness and righteousness of God. And I begin to agree in my heart, even though I may not know this verse, in Romans chapter 3, the Bible says this. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's what that means. When I look into the law of God, I realize that in my past, I've broken God's law. And I realize in my present and in my future, I continuously fall short of the standard of righteousness of who God is. The law shows me what I... Here's what that means. If it's up to me to keep the law to earn a right standing before God, guess what? I am hopeless because I've already failed. And if we're going to all be honest this morning, when we look into the mirror of God's law, guess what we all see about ourselves? None of us have a shot of earning a right standing before God based on the law because we've all sinned against God and we all fall short of his glory. And if that's all the law taught us, we'd still be hopeless. But the law doesn't just show us what we can't do. The law points us to what God has already done on our behalf. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. Look what it said. Therefore, the law has become our teacher, our tutor. What's it taught us? What we can't do. We can't earn our way there. But it's also our teacher to lead us to Christ, to point us to the one who did for us what we could not do on our own, right? So here's what that means. By faith, we now begin a relationship with God through Jesus. Say, how does this work? Let me show you another verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. I love this. Look at this verse. For what the law could not do. I want you to read that out loud with me. Just that part. You ready? Let's go. For what the law could not do. Hang on. Let's do it one more time. I just want you to get this. Let's do it one more time. For what the law could not do. What could the law not do? The law couldn't make me right with God. Why? Because when I look in the law, I see I've already failed. No matter how hard I try, I can't measure up. What the law could not do, weak as it was through my flesh. Oh, look at the next two words. I love these two words. Say it out loud. What the law could not do. What I could never accomplish through trying to keep the rules. Guess what? God did for me. How? How did he do it? Let me tell you how he did it. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what God did. I couldn't earn my way in. I couldn't make myself right with God, but God did what I couldn't do. He sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. Sinless, holy, pure Jesus, God in the flesh. 
And Jesus did what we couldn't do. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. Jesus kept every jot, every tittle. He dotted every I. He crossed every T. He's God in the flesh. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And then Jesus took his body and he offered it on a cross as the substitute, the sacrifice. Remember the pictures? The lamb, the blood that was shed. Jesus offered his body on a cross as the substitute, the offering for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus died. He paid for every one of your sins and every one of my sins, every lustful thought, every lie, every deceitfulness in my flesh, every wrong attitude, every wrong thought. Jesus died for it all. But he did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now you and I can put our faith and trust in Jesus and be born again into relationship with God. What I could not do by keeping the law, God did through the person of Jesus Christ. And I can now be given a relationship with God. Here's why that's important. There's some of you that are here today and you think that your hope of heaven, your hope of knowing God is you trying to be good enough for God to become happy with you. Listen to me. You will never get there. The law can't do that for us. Some of you here, you're attending church today because you think somehow by being at church, God's happy with you. Listen to me. Church can't save you. Religion cannot save you. Morality cannot save you. Good works cannot save you save you. He never gave us the law so that they could. He gave us the law to show us what we couldn't do and to point us to the one who's already done it for us in Christ so that you and I by grace through faith could be born again into relationship with God. You can be right with God today but only by faith in Jesus. That's what the law teaches us. By faith, we begin a relationship with God through Jesus. But the law teaches us something else. By faith, we continue to live out our relationship with God through Jesus. Here's what that means. (laughs) A lot of Christians make this mistake. I understand, Pastor, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's not in keeping the law. But now that I'm a Christian, now it's up to me to now obey. Listen. I don't have any more ability in my own strength to keep the law on this side of salvation I had on that side of salvation. 
I'm going to fall on my face on this side of the cross just as much as I am on that side of the cross in my own strength. What the law does is push me back to Jesus, understanding that only Christ in me, living through me, can please the Father. The only thing in me that pleases the Father is Christ in me, living his life. So the law for us as Christians is a constant reminder daily that I'll still fall short apart from the grace of God and Christ living in and through me. So that's what the law does. So let me close with this last statement. God's law teaches us how to enjoy the relationship. Wasn't given to earn it. It was given to point us to Jesus so we could have the relationship. And third, God's law teaches us how to enjoy it, how to get the most out of it. Say, so what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. My family, for the first 15 years we lived in Las Vegas, lived in the same house. And this house was in a cul-de-sac here in Las Vegas. I didn't know much about, well, I grew up, I grew up kind of in the country, and I didn't know much about cul-de-sacs. But when I moved to the city, <laughs> Las Vegas, I realized, man, living in a cul-de-sac is awesome if you got little kids. It's a great place to raise kids in the cul-de-sac because it provides you a little bit of safety. And here's what I mean by that. When my kids were all little, I took them out in the cul-de-sac, and I walked them down to the end of our cul-de-sac, and I drew an imaginary line across the end of our cul-de-sac. And here's what I told my kids. You have freedom all over our cul-de-sac. You can hang out with your friends. You can play. You can ride your bike. All over our cul-de-sac, you have complete and absolute freedom. But I want you to look at this line right here that I'm drawing in the sand. I'm drawing this line on the street, and here's the deal. You do not cross that line ever. Without your mom or me or our permission. You know what I gave them? A commandment. You shall not. Now, why did I do that? Did I do that because I knew all the fun and joy and pleasure that existed outside of our cul-de-sac. And I wanted to rob my kids of all the joy and all the fun and all the pleasure of life outside of our cul-de-sac. Did I do that as a dad because I wanted to make them miserable? <laughs> no. I did that because I loved them. And I know that on the other side of that line, it gets dangerous. There are pitfalls. There are opportunities. There are things that could really hurt and harm you. And if you don't have somebody with you, it could be very dangerous. Matter of fact, it could literally take your life. God's law is just like that. God gave us his law not to rob us of all the joy and pleasure. No. God created life. Here's what that means. God knows how it works best. Here's what that means. He knows where all the danger spots are. 
He knows where all the pitfalls are. But he also knows where all the joy is and all the pleasure is and all the satisfaction is. And what God did with his law is he gave us a roadmap to navigate life's decisions and choices so that we could fully enjoy life. I'll close with these two statements. Here's what he did. The law guards us from the dangers of life. Here's what I mean by that. Every time the Bible says, don't do that. Or if you're an old King James, thou shalt not. Here's what the Bible's really saying. Don't hurt yourself. God knows that that's dangerous. God knows that there's consequences. And listen, if we're going to be honest, every time we've stepped across God's line where he said, don't do that, he's right. It's a mess. When God says, don't do that, he's not trying to rob us of all the joy. He's saying, I want to protect you. Here's the second statement. The law guides us into the joy of living. Every time God says, do this, Here's what he's saying. Help yourself. When he says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When he says do, he's saying help yourself. He's saying this is where there's joy. This is where there's freedom. This is where there aren't those consequences. That's why twice in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4 and chapter 7, the writer of Proverbs said this. He said about God, keep my commandments and live. Live. It literally means enjoy life. So why did God give us his law? God's laws are not given to earn a relationship. God's law is given to lead us to Jesus so that we can enjoy a relationship with him. Let's pray together today. Father, we pray that you would take your word this morning and as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, begin to speak to us right now. And as you sit here quietly, just in a spirit of prayer before the Lord, I want to talk to you for just a moment before we sing a song of response. There's some of you that are here today and you've been trying to be a good person. You've been trying to keep the rules and somehow hopefully do enough good that you earn a right standing before God. Listen to me. The law was never given to do that. That's the trap and the bondage of religion. It says if you just perform, God will accept you. It's not true. It's not true. Listen, there's not one thing you and I can ever do to earn a right standing before God. You could start today and live the rest of your life trying to be as perfect as you want to be, and it won't undo the fact that you've already sinned against God and broken God's laws. And because of that, are separated from a relationship with God. But God did for you what you couldn't do on your own. Through his son Jesus, he made a provision so that you could put your faith in him and be brought back into relationship with God. In just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of worship. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone
as the means by which you can be saved. We have some pastors here at the front. I'm going to be here at the front. If you don't know Jesus, listen, if you're tired of trying and ready to start trusting in Jesus, when we stand to sing, I want to invite you to come. Just come to one of these pastors, and here's all you got to say. I need Jesus. That's it. And we have people who will sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can begin a relationship with God. All you got to do is come. There's some of you right now, you're hearing me talk about this, and you know right now you need Jesus. You need to be saved. Listen, you don't wait on anybody else. As soon as we stand, you just come. Matter of fact, you can come now before we stand if you want to. These pastors are already here. You can go ahead and come. If you want to leave here and know you've been made right with God through Jesus, just come. All you got to say, I need Jesus. Secondly, there's some of you here today, you're already a believer, but on this side of the cross, you are now trying to live in your own strength and keep the law. You're trying to be that good Christian. Listen, how's that working out for you? You can't do it in your own strength on this side of salvation any more than you could on the other side. It's only as you and I live in dependence on Jesus moment by moment, allow Christ in us to live through us, that we find the freedom of what it looks like to live the Christian life. Maybe you just need to come and get in one of these altars and just make a fresh surrender of your life to Jesus, declaring again how much you need him daily, moment by moment. For others of you today, maybe you need to pray with one of our pastors about your job, your health, your family, a relationship, your finances, whatever it may be. We're here. You come. For the rest of us, it's an opportunity to worship God through song. So let's stand together. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus right now to speak as only you can. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's